0: been here for a while, you know that I am uh, serving as interim while we're in a pastoral search. And I, I very seldom come, come up and start preaching. I, I just share random thoughts, kind of get me in the groove and you in the groove. And it dawned on me last week, just as a random thought, I said, welcome to spring, because it was uh, like 60 degrees out. Then Ash Wednesday, it was zero <laughs> with snow. So much for welcome to spring. Now today it's going to be like 55 and what do you say? Welcome to Northwest Indiana? Is this, is this what, we, what we get up here? By the way, just, just random thoughts. Next week is time change, so you're you losing an hour sleep. One of my favorite Sundays, preaching to people who are really tired. <laughs> one, one of those easy Sundays. One uh, what, what other thought hit me. You have gifts. You didn't earn them. Uh, that's why they're a gift a gift of God. So, so you have gifts. Why? Why, why, did, why did God give you gifts? Just so you could have them. Well, He expects a return on investment. He gave you those gifts that you might use those gifts. And I, you know, have you ever wonder why does a church exist? I, I, I think it comes down to two reasons why the church actually exists. Number one, it's that place where we learn about Christ enter in a relationship with Christ, and we're in a community of those that are in, in Christ. It, it creates that community. Number two, it's a natural place to use our gifts. It becomes that outlet, that opportunity. It's just naturally to use that gift, whatever your gift is, to use it within the church. And that's why, not, not a commercial, but that's why I like that the yes fair. It opens the door for you to have the opportunity to use your gifts. Because I, I don't, I don't want to get hard about this, but... There are people that go to church and then go home, and they say, well, it's my church. Well, you're not really vested. I think it's very difficult to be mature spiritually unless you are part of both arms of the church. Yes, I'm, this is why I, I have a relationship with Christ. I'm learning about Christ. I'm in community, and yes, I'm using my gifts. And Unless you're really kind of doing both, both halves of the church, it's going to be very difficult to be spiritually mature. And so for some, I just want, I want, if, if you're not involved in this arm of, of, of the church, it's a place to naturally use my gifts. Like the S-Fair is a great idea. Just to find out more about, is this a place, here's my gifts, is this a place where I can actually use my gifts? Or else I'm wrong. No, when was the last time I was wrong? Who was president last time I was wrong? Okay. We're in the Old Testament. Because frankly, I love the Old Testament. We've just finished an entire series based on the names of God, which are all revealed within the Old Testament. Today, we're going to kick off the Lenten series is those feasts of the Old Testament. Because I guarantee you, not not to be arrogant about this, but I guarantee you, you don't understand the feasts. Very few people have spent a lot of time, and, and they're fascinating, because those feasts were used to teach those people about Jesus' coming. They, they, were, they were pictures teaching them about Jesus. So as we understand the feasts, we understand Jesus. And here we are at Lent, the preparation for the crucifixion and resurrection. Those Old Testament feasts are the foundation of our faith. The Old Testament is not just unrelated stories. There is a master theme weaving all the way through the Old Testament. And the theme is pretty simple. God has taken the initiative to enter into a blood covenant with us. Through Jesus. The Old Testament's not a dusty old book. It is the living word of God. It tells us the story. Preparing them for the Messiah. You've heard the cliche of pictures worth a thousand words. Those feasts were them, were the pictures. And they were learning. It was like a teaching aid, a visual aid. As they did that, they more and more grasped who Jesus was. Why he came. What his death was about. What the resurrection is about, which is what we're celebrating now. What the sacrifice is. Those Old Testament feasts, every single one of them taught about the coming of Jesus, preparing them for Jesus. So, okay, the question is, if they're that big of a deal, why don't we do them today? Well, because every one of those feasts was teaching them about the coming of Jesus. We don't need to be taught about the coming of Jesus. He's come, died on the cross and rose again. Jesus said, I'm giving you a new feast, Holy Communion, which again goes back to the cross. Those feasts were about the cross, and our feast, now in remembrance, is the cross, communion. So the cross is the center point. Everything before the cross, all those feasts were teaching about the cross, and now after the cross, our one great feast, communion, is about the cross. But they teach us in tremendous detail, and Jesus lived out those feasts in tremendous detail. So I've got to pre-warn you, today we're going to do the Passover feast. You've got to kind of listen intuitively. Because there's a lot of details, a lot of times, a lot of dates. And so you got to kind of be kind of focused to keep track of it all. And I'll, I'll try to lay it out as simply as I can. And so why not do a complicated series when everybody's tired next week? Brilliant. <laughs> Today, the Passover feast. It's introduced in Leviticus. Leviticus 23, verses 4 and 5. I want you to see it. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Okay, Roy, starting dates. 14th day, first month, twilight. Now, let, let, let's understand Passover in, in, in the foundation of it it's a memorial, it's remembering them over and over their exodus from Egypt. Two second background, remember, Moses is the instrument to lead the Hebrews out of bondage. Working through Moses, God delivers 10 plagues on the Egyptian people. Pharaoh just continues to harden his heart and will not let let the uh, uh, Israeli nation go. And God gave Pharaoh every opportunity. And finally, on the 10th plague is the death of the firstborn of every family. Literally, the death angel is going to go into every home and the firstborn male will die. So, God goes to Moses and says, here's how you protect yourself, your nation. You are to take a lamb without blemish. The lamb must be selected on the 10th day of the month and observe it for five days, sacrificing it on the 14th. Now, you already say, whoa, 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 whoa. If you select it on the 10th and sacrifice it on the 14th, that's not five days. It is to them. (laughs) Why? Because I got bad math? No, they count the first day. So 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. So as you count the first day, yes, even though it's 10 to 14, the fact of the matter is inspecting the lamb for five days. They had to make sure this lamb was perfect. No spot, no blemish. And then the authority, the high priest, would declare the lamb without blemish and therefore qualified to be sacrificed. He would literally say, I find no fault, I find no blemish in this lamb. On the fifth day, the lamb is now sacrificed exactly at 3 p.m. He killed the lamb. The blood is collected, put in a basin, and painted over the entrance of the door. Scripture is pretty specific here. The blood on the door was done at the evening of the 14th at twilight. Dates and times, Remember. Twilight is about that 6 p.m. when they had the meal and their day ended. Therefore, they would kill the lamb at approximately 9 a.m., collect the blood about 3, paint it on to have the meal at 6. Killing it at 9, meal at 6. They slaughtered the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost. So the family would then enter into the house and they would be protected from the death angel who would see the blood over the door. The lamb would be roasted on a spit, the family could not see the blood on the outside. They would have to have faith that God would save them because of the blood on the door. They ate the meal. God allowed the death angel to pass through the, line, the, 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 the land. It's, a, it's an entire night of death. It is a night of grieving. And as the death angel went door to door, if the entrance was covered by the lamb, the angel would merely pass over. And so we have the word, the Passover. It's interesting to know. Blood on door frames was not new. In early Egypt, with their false gods, they would dedicate their home with blood on the door. They believed that the blood on the door, the, the, their, their false god would see that as a protector. And so the blood on the door it was actually protecting them against other gods, against other things. So as we understand the blood on the door, Passover is not merely Passover. It's protection. It's almost as if the blood is saying, not this house. That God is at that door saying, not this house, pass over this house. So it's a Passover, but it's also a protection. He's there saying, Not this house. So it's more than just skipping over a door. Figuratively, it's also protection. Now, Passover. Now let's shoot forward to the memorial feast. When the temple was built, instead of killing the lambs at the doorpost, they would bring their lambs into Jerusalem. And they would celebrate the Exodus, celebrate God's protection, celebrate the Passover. They look forward to this event. This is their Super Bowl. This is their World Series. This is the biggest party of the year. The ancient nation would converge on Jerusalem. Caravans would, would, would awaken and say, now we go into Zion with a wake-up call. We, we, we even see it in Jeremiah 31:6. I want you to see that. Arise! Let us go to Zion unto the, unto the Lord our God. Let's go. It's Passover. It is the feast. It's the celebration. that Pilgrims make their way to Jerusalem at that tenth day of the first month. So, all these caravans. Jerusalem's got to be ready. All these lambs cooked at once at the precise time. A lot of ovens are being dug. At the pre- precise time, those lambs were taken and eating, but it's a time of celebration, remembrance, God's, God's protection. It's great joy. It's praise. It's worship. It is their gigantic party. As they sacrificed the temples, the Levites would lead them in singing, and they would specifically sing the Psalms, 113 to 118. They would all sing the first line of the Psalm, and the Levites, the priests, would sing the second line. And then the third line, the congregation, the crowds, the the priests, the fourth line, back and forth, back and forth. There was instruments, there was harps, and flutes, and tambourines, and cymbals, and, and saxophone, and violin, and everything they had. It was this gigantic celebration. And the peak of it all would be the end of the 118th verse, 118th Psalm, verse 24. Take a look. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. He has protected us. And so this gigantic celebration reaches this crescendo. We will rejoice in this. What are they rejoicing in? Their freedom, their remembrance, their celebration. Passover is their party. So time goes on. Israeli nation grows, it becomes more difficult for those outlying regions to bring a lamb in to sacrifice. To solve the problems, the Levites began raising lambs, specifically for Passover. They would then sell them for income. The lambs would be pre-inspected. They'd already had their five days of inspection. So on the way, the pilgrims would buy a lamb already qualified, already set. The lamb would be without blemish. He was really born to die at Passover. Passover. Born to die, the Jewish historian Josephus reports annually more than 250,000 of these Passover lambs were killed during that first century in Jerusalem. So this is gigantic. So for almost 2,000 years, these Jewish people had been celebrating every single year the lamb. And the blood represents covering of their sins, forgiving of their sins, the eternal death, passing over. And so God sends prophets and says that the human lamb, we deal with our sin celebration every year, but a lamb is coming, the lamb of God, to be sacrificed, born of the Virgin Mary. This one is going to help them recognize that the lamb is sacrificed for us. He is born to die, He is born to shed His blood. And the wording about Jesus is amazing. You ever notice the last prophet, John the Baptist? Look at his wording. John 1, verse 36. Behold, the Lamb of God. Why would he say that? Because Jesus is Passover. It's all about Passover. He refers to the Lamb of God who will give his blood as a covering for us. All those religious feasts, all tied in to Jesus, his death, his resurrection. So, let's now fast forward to Holy Week. It's deliberately arranged all around Passover and the Passover celebration. The selection, the testing, the death. Jesus is set aside to be scrutinized exactly the same time that the lambs were scrutinized for the last 2,000 years. Remember, God established this feast, set aside their lambs on the 10th day of the first month. Their first month is a month called Nisan. And the significance is incredible. In the New Testament, We learn on the 10th day Jesus enters Jerusalem, the same day that the Lamb was set aside. Okay, how do you date this? How do you know that Jesus came into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday event? How how do you know it was on the 10th? Well, because dates are specific in the New Testament. They tell us. We're told that Jesus goes into Bethany, Six days before Passover. So, Passover the 14th, Jesus must have gone into Bethany on the 9th. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. How do we know that Jesus was in Bethany on the 9th? Well, the specifics John chapter 12, verse 1. Take a look. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. There you go. 14th minus 6. So, on the 9th, we can absolutely place Jesus in Bethany. Six days before. And then, it, then he makes it clear that the next day, on the same chapter, Jesus goes into Jerusalem. Well, hello. If he's in Bethany on the ninth, and the next day he goes into Jerusalem, it probably must be the 10th. Take a look at it. John chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. The next day a great multitude had come to the Passover feast. When they heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm, palm trees, went out to, to meet him, cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So thank you, thank you, John. We now know that Jesus is entering Jerusalem on the 10th, the exact day for thousands of years they had set the lamb aside. We place him in Jerusalem on the 10th. They set it aside. Now, you could not offer a lamb that was blemished. They would check the lamb, check the lamb for five days. I mean, come on. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, remember those five days? Those five days, Jesus was checked. The human lamb was observed aggressively the same five days. They questioned his authority. The Pharisees used every trick, every question. They would somehow give a wrong answer they could use against him. They tested him and tested him and tried him and tried him. They did everything to make an accusing finger. They did everything to damage him. They wanted to discredit him. They did absolutely everything, and Jesus responded perfectly. In frustration, they take Jesus to the governor, Pilate, who is now the authority. They lie. They make a false accusation that they might find a fault in him, our lamb, Pilate's answer is incredibly important because he is now the authority, not the high priest. Do you remember what Pilate said to the crowd? John chapter 19 verse 4, I find no fault in him. This is not just part of the the story of the trial. This is Passover. The lamb cannot be sacrificed until the authority says there is no fault. When Pilate comes out and yells to the crowd, I find no fault in him. This is a goosebump moment. Because this is Passover. The authority is now declaring Jesus the Lamb who is now qualified to be sacrificed. It's not just part of an arrest narrative. It's Passover. Huge importance. The Lamb must be declared faultless. And all this, dec- all this happened between the 10th and the 14th. The exact same five-day period. At the end of the five-day period, for thousands of years, the high priest would take the Lamb and say, here's no fault. At the end of the same five-day period, Pilate comes out and says, there is no fault. Jesus is living out Passover. That very day, the Passover lambs were sacrificed over the centuries. Jesus was sacrificed on the same day. More specific, Jesus was sacrificed at the exact same time. Remember? They would sacrifice the lamb at 9 a.m. Look at Mark 15, 25. Now it was nine o'clock in the morning and they crucified him. Same time to choose the lamb, same five days. He is spotless. at the same time that the lambs were sacrificed for thousands of years. Jesus is crucified. You ever wonder, why does the Bible give us all these details when well, you know? It's Passover. And I, I, don't, I don't want to be sarcastic and certainly not seen as sacrilegious, but ever read that verse, Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m.? And did kind of you go, I don't care. I care that Jesus was crucified. The key is he was crucified, that my Savior went to the cross, shed his blood for me, raising on a third day. But the fact that it's 9 a.m., if he was crucified at 10 a.m., he's still my Savior. If he's crucified in the afternoon, he's still my Savior. Why, why bother giving me these, these insignificant, seemingly details? It was 9 a.m. It's gigantically important. These are not semi-important details because it's retelling the Passover feast story. That's why all the way back in the time of the Levites, in Leviticus, when the first order was given, you will sacrifice your lambs at 9 a.m., It was precise because Jesus is going to live out this event in every single detail because he's the lamb. Old Testament prophecy refers to this lamb. Look at the word. Isaiah 53.7, I want you to see this. He was beaten down and punished, but he didn't say a word. He was like a lamb being led to be killed. They would identify with that in the Old Testament. They did that every year. Then back to Exodus. Back to the more instructions about, about these lambs. The first time, the first time they did it, the first time they had the Passover, when the death angel was coming. There's a lot of instructions about what you got to do with this lamb. Exodus twelve forty six. Take a look. The meal must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meal outside of the house. Don't break any bones. Jesus' bones on the cross were not broken. You ever wonder how do they die? Not not, not to get gross, but how do they die at a crucifixion? Is it just exhaustion? Well, they die by asphyxiation, eventually. You ever notice that when you... We're all going to do this now by power suggestion. When you breathe, you kind of go up. You draw your breath in. If your body weight is hanging down, eventually you use the ability to pull yourself up, and you lose the ability to breathe. So what criminals would do to extend their life is they would take their, their feet against the back of the cross and push up. So, they can get a breath. And they would use their legs to push on the back, that that center beam of the cross, just to pull more air in their lungs. So, if they wanted to prolong the crucifixion, if they wanted to stop the crucifixion as it got to be dark, pretty simple. All the soldiers would do would take a rod and break their legs. Because if you can't pull up with your legs, you can't get that next breath. Because they used their legs to pull their body up to fill their lungs. So, they just broke their legs. Therefore, they weren't able to get more air. They broke the legs of the two two thieves by the side of Jesus, and they came to Jesus getting ready to break his legs. And remember what happened? Because of the exhaustion, the beatings, he was already dead. And so the cry was, don't bother breaking his bones. Don't bother breaking his legs. He's already dead. And Scripture, all the way back at the very, very first lamb at the time of Exodus, said, no bones were to be broken. Again, Jesus is Passover. The picture is worth a thousand words. And so all through the New Testament, this is their culture, this is their world, all through the New Testament, we're told over and over again, Jesus was Passover, Jesus was the Lamb. I I could go on and on, but let me just give you a couple. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from our fathers but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb, without blemish and without spot. Now, does that not scream Passover? I mean, that's Passover. Even more clear, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, take a look. For indeed, our Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. That's their culture. That's their whole life. Every year doing this thing. And they would recognize Jesus is fulfilling every single detail. And now he comes to me and you. And he says, I will pour my blood over the doorpost of your life. And judgment and death, eternal death, hell death, eternal death, not only pass over me because of Christ, but Christ is standing there saying, not this person. The blood of Christ is now my protector. The death angel of hell not only passes over my life, but Jesus is there saying, not this person, the one who fulfills Passover, is our protector because the blood. That's why the Bible talks about being covered in his blood. For at the, I think I've shared with you the easiest way to understand this, at the judgment, whatever that is, whatever that is, I know it exists, but it's beyond my understanding. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. You ever wonder Why? Well, because as I come before the Father, a sinner, not perfect, Jesus is there to cover me and see, see Gene Tanner in me, covered by the blood. He might as well go to the Father and say, when death comes to this person for all of eternity, the death of hell, not this person. Because the blood over the doors was more than Passover, it was saying, not this house. Now Jesus is saying, not this person, because he is the Lamb. Because he is Passover, The simplicity of Passover is now fulfilled. And we cry out, the Lamb has come. He is my Lamb on that cross. He is my Lamb. Passover. As I told you, once we understand these these Old Testament feasts, everything about Easter pops. As we understand these Old Testament feasts, everything about those feasts now make tons more sense. And it's amazing as we look at the dates and the details, some details that you might have read and go, so... They now become incredibly important because of the feasts. The simplicity of Passover is fulfilled for me and you. You have a lamb. Father, we just come before you. And we praise you. For I have a lamb that says, not this person. As I've come to Christ in repentance, the blood of the lamb covers me. For there is a death angel, and there is a hell. I need all of this to pass over me because you protect me, because my lamb is there. You did more than fulfill the requirements. You fulfilled the requirements. You taught me about the power of you. I thank you for these feasts in your holy name. Amen. Next week, the power of the the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Again, I think it's going to blow your mind when you walk through Unleavened Bread. Let's walk through something else. We've been talking to you about 1.1.1. People have come to me and said, I figured it out. No one's been close. I'm thinking about maybe next week. Let's Let's just frustrate you a little bit more. No, 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 no. Don't you turn on me. Actually, it's incredibly simple and incredibly challenging. Some of you won't be able to step up to the plate. One person or one family. Those are going to lay on your heart. For one minute, you give a minute once a day. Once a day, and all during Lent. For one minute, find a minute. And then one person or a family. Now, that one-minute prayer... Here's where it gets gutsy. The prayer is this. Lord, you've laid this person on my mind. And frankly, I don't bump into them every day. I might not have seen them for a long time. So I'm putting the emphasis on you. If they cross my path, if I see them during Lent, if they cross my path, I'm going to believe you put us together. You gave me that person in my mind, and you put us together. I am going To talk to them and get them here for Easter. One person or one family, he's going to lay something on your heart. One minute, once a day, praying that prayer. If they cross my path, and I'm not going to go sit in their house and make this thing happen, but if they cross my path, I am going to get them here for Easter. The same voice that called you to repentance is the same voice that calls you to serve. And if you can't do this, then don't pray the prayer if you can't step up to the plate when it's time, then don't pray the prayer. Because I'm telling you right now, God's going to put them in your path. He's going to give you words to say, and you're going to talk to them about being at real life on Easter. They're going to be your guests. Maybe, maybe you've got to take them to breakfast. Maybe you've got to take them to lunch. Maybe you've got to buy them a car. Well, maybe. But you are saying, I am dedicating myself once a day. I am dedicating myself. They will be with me on Easter. We did this at, at Valpo quite a few years ago, and I, I, I like to stand out and greet people. It was so much fun for me. Because there was people walking in, and, and they would have somebody with them, and when the, their guests back were turned, they'd go, "Let them." <laughs> All of a sudden, people were evangelizing. All of a sudden, they realized, I have the power to invite. So I, the challenge is this. If you can't do that, then don't pray the prayer. If you're afraid to step up to the plate then don't pray the prayer. Don't give that minute once a day because I promise you the Lord who brought them to your mind will now bring them into your life and you will have the responsibility to have them with you come Easter Sunday morning because we're going to lay out gospel in a a non-threatening manner. Some people need to hear the reality of what Easter is about. 1.1.1. We'll talk about it all during Lent. I'm anxious to hear, I can't wait the stories of people when you bring your guest in and you catch my eye and go, I'm telling you. And if this intimidates you, then pray, pray, Lord, help me with my strength. May my faith be right. Let's stand together. Father, it's a simple challenge, but it's a challenge. We all have somebody that I think you're laying on hearts now. I think a picture of someone, someone who doesn't go to a church, someone who might have left this church a long time ago, but you've laid somebody on our hearts. What amazed me at, in Valpo, people didn't have the same person. One, one family wasn't hit up by five different couples or five different, everybody had somebody different. It's almost impossible, but that's exactly what happened. And I think the person that you're laying on hearts today is not being laid on anybody else's. But you're laying a thought on our mind. You're speaking to our spirit and saying, here's the one person that you have a relationship with that you're going to have here. Father, the prayer is easy, the challenge is great. But we praise you. We praise you that my lamb is on the throne in a Revelation, John in heaven said, I saw the lamb, and the lamb is alive. I have a Passover lamb, and we celebrate the feast in your holy name. Great tradition, saying scripture together. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, kind of an obvious one. Come on. For indeed, our Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Next week, unleavened bread. God bless you.